0: And now it's time for the podcast Sustainable Dad. Duncan here for Sustainable Dad. You know what? Uh, I probably shouldn't have favourites when we're doing podcasts, but this conversation today uh, was one of my favourites because it's just two guys spitballing about how we can improve the planet. Um yeah, it gets a little bit high and lofty and there is a conversation about faith incorporated into this, but uh, I think it's a good one to have. How do we have hope for this planet? How can we point it in the right direction? Direct? How can we point it in the right direction? What does it look like to have ethical travel options, sustainable economics, volunteering and recycling that is going to be beneficial for the planet? These are kind of big rock conversations. Um, today we're speaking with Gordon Menzies. He is the Associate Professor for Economics at UTS, uh, also a Christian. And uh, we incorporate a little bit of a conversation in here about the Bible and where that intersects with economics. Is there anything to learn from that? I really enjoyed this conversation. I think... Um, Sometimes we can feel a little bit paralysed about not knowing what we can do because it seems like a really big rock conversation. Where do we start? Where do we go? How do we do this well? I love this idea of a donut economy. I don't want to give away too much because it sounds delicious, but it's an important conversation that um, Damon Gamow, the director of 2040 in the first of these podcasts, raised. Is there a way that we can put strict borders on the way we handle our money to help build this country, to build this planet up? So here's a conversation with Gordon Menzies, uh, certainly one of my favorite in this series so far. It appeared first on Hope 103.2 as part of the Hope for the Planet series. Thanks very much, Duncan. Mate, um, I I wanted to have a a big conversation around um, kind of an idea, I guess, about Environmental economics, sustainable economics, and what that looks like. One of the things that um, came up in a uh, a movie, twenty forty with Damon Gamow, was this idea of a donut model. Okay, which
1: fantastic,
0: which is basically saying if we constrain the borders of our economy to say if we expand too far, it'll impact the environment, and then on the inside of this donut is a circle where um, developing nations kind of rest. And the way that we expand an economy is to help pull them out of poverty and sit them on the edge of the donut rather than impacting the environment. I wanted Mm. to ask you a question on that. What do you think about that as an idea?
1: Well, I used to do economic modelling um, in uh, the Reserve Bank and in Treasury, so I've never heard of this donut (laughs) model, so I think I'm (laughs) learning something here this morning. That's great. Um, Yeah, I think that it's a great idea to to both limit the damage to the environment and to try and bring people out of poverty. And sometimes those two goals work together. And unfortunately, it's tricky because sometimes they don't. So when I think about China, for example, there's been an absolutely massive movement of people from the west of China to the eastern seaboard. Um, They've moved to big cities there. It's drawn a lot of people out of poverty and it's apparently one of the biggest mammalian movements in history, all these people. Mm. Um, there used to be about uh, 80% of people living in the country, and now it's down to about 50%. Anyway, the the thing is that that's uh, been great at lifting people out of poverty, but it's also been very, very damaging for the environment. So sometimes they go together and sometimes they don't. Um, obviously, in other places like... Um, uh, Kiribati, it's uh, in danger of being flooded as sea levels rise, and uh, there's a situation where their economy is obviously going to be helped a great deal if people do something about environmental problems, namely global warming.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating one. Is I looked up uh, uh, Kiribati. I didn't know there's 110,000 people there, and basically if um, sea levels continue to rise, that entire island completely disappears.
1: Yes, it's a, it's a tragedy. And even if it doesn't, even if it only goes up to, um, even if it rises a bit, it's going to, the salt water is going to seep into their the freshwater oh. areas. And so it's, a, it's an environmental disaster for them, obviously.
0: Right. So um, you're in charge you know, of, of teaching e- economics at uh, UTS. What does it look like to move to an economic model where there's kind of a social side?
1: Yeah, I and mean, that's a great question. I suppose one I, I just want to step back a little bit and uh and talk about our economic system. It it's pretty dynamic. People are encouraged to work hard, um, and they have a lot of incentives to do that. And all that's great. Um, but you have to remember that the system if if you don't perform in the system, then eventually the system will spit you out. So, you know, mm. you you've got a job here Um, I'm sure people care about you, that they're your friends here. But the bottom line is that if for whatever reason, if you're sick or if you have family troubles and you just can't perform, eventually you'll have to leave your job. Mm. And that's the way that our system works. And uh, it makes for dynamic workplaces. It makes for people working hard and performing well at work. But the question is, where do you go? Um, Now, there's a great quote by the uh, poet Robert Frost, Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And
0: uh, (laughs) It's so true.
1: (laughs) Well, it's true true for many, but it's not true for everybody. Some people just don't have a place like that. Mm. And so um, I think one of the first things about having a social side to an economic system is just recognizing that when, for whatever reason, people fall through the cracks in their workplace and they fall on hard times, they need somewhere to go. And if they don't have a home, then, um, you know, there's got to be some kind of a safety net there. Um, Yeah, I guess the other thing, too, is uh, to recognise that in this modern world, people's skills are what really um, enable them to perform in the economy. So it used to be land. And um, uh, in the Old Testament, you might know that every 50 years um, they would reset land ownership and make sure that everybody had a fair share of land. Well, in today's economy, that's probably translates to something like um, having good educational opportunities. Because if you're set up well and have good basic skills, that'll pay off for the rest of your life. So, I think trying to make sure that educational opportunities are really equal in society is a good way to having an economic system with a social side.
0: That's an extraordinary idea. So, the the idea, rather than saying land, but you say to a, a person who is what. Well, underskilled yeah hey listen what we'll do is we'll give you a free education yeah you know in a jubilee system to help upskill you so you've got more opportunity
1: yeah that's right that's right and that's trying to trying to reset it every generation too so that somebody comes from a background where they have um you know, parents weren't able to have good educational opportunities that doesn't necessarily lock them in to being the same themselves yeah, I think that's a really important idea.
0: It's, it's one of the things that I think, um, you know, like having worked in developing countries is that compared to, you know, like I guess upper North Shore, mm-hmm. is that the bar is set at a completely different level. Like there's mm-hmm. a different level of expectation. There's a different level of experience. And if you were able to walk into that and say, no, what we're going to do is give you an opportunity at a world-class education Hmm. suddenly the uh, paradigm completely changes and the opportunities like, you know, even being able to speak English suddenly increases exponentially the opportunities for you to do different things.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, um, You're the interviewer here, but I feel like asking you to give me an example (laughs) of that. That sounds fascinating.
0: Well, so I mean, one of the things is, um, you know, like um, my, my father-in-law has set up uh, an organization that works out of, India and in that organization what that what that does as a hospital is it not only helps people but it also provides basic education to ensure that um, the lowest socioeconomic class in India has the ability to read and write Mm. as a result of that their opportunities for employment drastically go up and all they've done is equip them with basic reading and writing skills yeah And, you know, I don't think we're necessarily aware of that here because the education system is so good in Australia. Yeah. But if you can't read and you can't write, it does actually limit your ability for employment. And your Jubilee suggestion kind of opens up a doorway whereby a person who might be sitting in a generation where they haven't had that opportunity at some point will get that opportunity and boom, doors open.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and uh, that's an interesting example you gave because it used to be that uh, when people talked about economic development in poor countries that they would imagine building lots of universities and so on. And although I work for a university and I'm very fond of them, yeah. um, what you're saying I think is dead right, that um, uh, you start at the ground level and, and give people very basic skills. So primary school education and uh, where it's relevant, preschool education as well and experiences in the family too. They're all really important.
0: Okay. Yes. Good. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, capitalism because mm-hmm. I think one of the things I want to know is can we help to redirect capitalism to help them have a social conscience?
1: Yeah. So that's that's a great question. Um, I guess that uh, as far as redirecting capitalism goes, the things we just spoke about. Um, are going to help in that process. Uh, if people have have a safety net, then I think that's a really important backdrop for any kind of capitalist system. What kind of things do you have in mind, uh, Duncan?
0: Well, I, I think um, I think the question is like I feel like capitalism is money, 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 and I feel like capitalism needs to become like money, money, people, community. You know, like I, I feel like. If we shift our thoughts from a model where how can I make the most money for me to it is important for me to make money for myself. But as part of that, empower communities and leave a legacy where the, the culture, the context, the person that I'm impacting is better for it. I haven't taken, 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 but I've taken, taken, given you know? Yeah,
1: yeah I guess um, talking about making money as a motivation, well uh, that's alright, but the question is why do you want to make money and, um, and one of the things it says in the Bible in the New Testament um, Paul's speaking to the church at Ephesus and he says anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands so that he might have something to share with those in need Yeah, and it's a really interesting sort of three-fold thing, the first thing is Stop doing bad stuff financially. <laughs> um, that can uh, that can be a lesson for all of us, but particularly to um, some bankers in the in the recent financial crisis and the Banking Royal Commission. Stop yeah. doing bad stuff. Um, but work. But why work? Um, so that you can have something to share with others. Oh, and it also says doing something useful. So these are all the elements um, that I think just transform a vision of what economic life is like from just making the most amount of money to having a purpose with it. Um, Doing something good, doing something useful, don't doing bad stuff um, and being motivated by sharing. Mm. And you can think about making money as a way of uh, providing for yourself, providing for your loved ones, but also helping the community. There's, There's nothing that stops you thinking about being ambitious for those reasons rather than just making money for its own sake.
0: Oh, I like that. I mean, I guess at the heart of it, you know, you, you've you got something, a commodity, like if you're doing something useful, then you should be able to make money doing something useful, right? Like people, if it's useful, people want it. So therefore you could sell it as a commodity.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I guess that's right. <laughs> There's a little bit of a... Um there's a little bit of a, a footnote I want to add there. Uh, yeah, uh, sure, sure. There's a strange um, there's a strange fact that when people are faced with financial incentives, incentives they often act a little bit differently. So, you might have heard heard this, and uh, and some of our listeners would have uh, would have read this in a in a recent book. But there was a situation where there was um, a bunch of daycare centers in Israel, and they're having problems with parents turning up late. Yeah. So. Uh, what do you think you should do? Well, if you're an economist, the natural thing to think is we'll put a financial penalty on turning up late and see if that helps. Yeah fine em. and you'd hope that that would that would actually lower the amount of uh, the the amount of late coming. But what happened was when they put the fine on the amount of late coming went up. Now this is a pretty strange thing, but when you think about it, if there's no fine in place, if no money changes hands, you think that turning up late, to pick up your kids is bad behavior it's in a moral frame in your head um, but as soon as there's a price attached to it you pay a fine Will you start to think about it as a, a sort of babysitting surface if my if my time at work's more valuable than uh, paying these people to look after my kids for a bit longer I'll do it and so I agree with what you say I don't think there's anything wrong with making money out of doing things that are socially valuable but you do have to remember that there's this thing about money. When, it, when it's in the equation, sometimes it changes the way people think. Yeah. So I'd be sorry to see some things um, uh, have money paid for them. So there are some countries in the world that they pay you if you give blood, but there are other countries that don't. And I'm kind of glad we have a country where you don't pay, you don't receive money for giving blood. It's just a social service.
0: I like that too, but I don't ever want them to give up the milkshakes.
1: Because... <laughs> that's where I get my best meals.
0: <laughs> okay, so I think the buzzword of the moment, and it's an important buzzword, is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if it's possible for us to have a sustainable economic model that is realistic.
1: Yeah, that that's uh, that is a very uh, pressing question at the moment. I guess one thing that um, you mentioned the word realistic. I and mean, part of being realistic is looking at what the biggest problems are. Mm. Um, if You don't go out and mow your lawn as a first priority if your fence has fallen down. You do something about fixing up the fence. So although there are so many issues that you could pursue in trying to be sustainable, it's important to look around and say, what are the most important ones at this time in history, at this place, in this place? What are the most important issues that that we have to deal with? And so I think that's part of being realistic and sustainable is picking your issues. Um, I think the other thing that you have to understand about the economy is that um, this is this is just such an important point that I, I guess I, I want to labour it a little bit. Mm. One of the most important things that happens when an, econ- an economy develops or when or when everybody gets richer is that time spent at work becomes more valuable that's almost the basic fact of economic growth that labor that's to say your work Mm. becomes more productive financially so it means that in economically developed countries people who spend time working are richly rewarded for it the the wage rate goes up
0: Mm.
1: and what the what this does is it drains time away from every other activity that's not paid work And so you'll find in an economy that's highly developed, it's really hard to find volunteers to do things because the allure of highly productive work is always there with a pretty good wage rate. And so it drains time away from family. It lowers the number of kids people have. And here's the crucial thing for sustainability. It drains time away from repairing things or from recycling or anything that involves time that's not paid time in the labor market it's a basic fact that it causes so many things in society to be harder so i guess having a sustainable economic model is partly a cultural thing it means saying no to time pressures it means not working that bit extra it depends on your situation Mm. of course you might you might desperately need that but it means sometimes saying no to economic incentives and and freeing up a bit of time
0: so we have like a workplace best practice that says we have four weeks of holiday leave and then we get one week of volunteer leave and then one week of recycling leave? That would be a great idea. That would <laughs> recycling a really great... and home repairs. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> or bicycle repairs or something. That's good. I like that. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. And you do, you do actually become much more aware of that, that like... Work puts this incredible demand on you, but you go, that's where, that's where the bacon's coming from. Yeah, that's right. I'll get someone else to mow the lawns. I'll get someone else to repli- replace that. But you know you, you could do it if you had the time at home. Yeah,
1: and, and often that's a sensible thing to do. I'm not saying do this all the time, but let me give you an example, Duncan. Um, yeah. I'm visiting my daughter up in um, Western Australia in a few weeks. She works with Aboriginal communities up there. And it's it's terrific because it's actually coinciding with some other friends of mine just happening to be there at the same time. So it's going to be a great time. Great. I'm flying over there, but on the way back, um, my friends are driving back, and uh, and I thought to myself, oh, I should I should save the environment. The car's going back anyway, and I should travel with them. Yeah. Now this is um, from Western this, Australia. From Western Australia. <laughs> This is five or six days of driving. And then I thought to myself, oh, hang on, this doesn't make economic sense because if I if I flew back and got back to work for two or three days, I could cover the cost yeah. um, easily. Of, of, um, so it just doesn't make sense for me. It, it, I, it'd be cheaper for me to, to pay for the air ticket and then work a few extra days. But it really is better for the environment if I go back in a car that's already going to be partly empty so i don't always make these decisions but i've decided that i will actually go back in the car this time and that's an example of just saying no to economic incentives we can't do that all the time and and you know perhaps we shouldn't do it all the time but we can do it some of the time
0: i think though you get a great investment in the the capital of your personal narrative because you can say hey i've driven across australia you know, yeah, that's I've, right. Which I think is. We should a,
1: have an interview about that when yeah, I get back. <laughs> seriously,
0: because a lot of people haven't done that. I, you know, I mean, one of the things I've always wanted to do is sleep in the middle of Australia and see the stars without any city lights around. Yeah. You know, which is apparently just breathtaking.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like I've have, have been a bit of a fraud as an Australian, so I'm going to get I'm going to get a new passport when I get back with this, which got stamped on a genuine Australian. I love it. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. So I think about a global, the global economy. Yeah. And I think to myself that there are these gigantic tech groups that mm-hmm. that control a large deal of the world's wealth. Mm-hmm. And I think, how do you help them think through? like social economic de- development as a core business idea because it's not their core business. But I think because you've got so much money, you need to start thinking about this.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really big challenge. I mean, the thing, the thing about governments is that they have enormous limits, as we all know. Mm. But the thing that drives democracy governments is that it's one person, one vote. But when you get into the business world... What you're talking about is one dollar one vote, and so you have to realize um, the the reasons that people have for doing the things that they do if they're in a in a giant uh, tech group they're not necessarily going to be motivated by the kinds of things that governments who are trying to benefit the most number of people will will be doing mm. um they have enormous potential to power, enormous potential and power. You're absolutely right about that. Um, when you think about their their hold on information, for example, that's a very big issue. Um, and they have a lot of they a lot of, have a lot of power. They can do lots of things in countries that sometimes governments can't do because the governments are dysfunctional. So I'm all for encouraging them to make a difference. Um, the trick is encouraging to do them to do something which is in their interests as well. Mm. And that's where it gets tricky.
0: Right. I think for me, I, I have this thought in my head, you know, like even when you hear a, a really famous football player and they go, I'm not a role model, you know, they've done something terrible and they mm. go, I'm not a role model. And I mm. think, well, no, you are like, you don't get a choice in the matter. You don't get to stand up and be an incredible football player and say, I'm not a role model mm. because of the platform that you stand on and because of the amount of eyes that are on you, you have ascended to the point of role model. And so that I think kind of dictates how you have to act and how you have to live. I I think it's probably the same pressure that celebrities feel is Mm -hmm. that, Hey, I I just want to have my own private life. And it's like, absolutely. You know, you are entitled to privacy, but there's also the flip side, which is the reality That you sit on a very large platform in front of a large amount of people. And as a result of that, there's some consequences. You know, you can't do what you might be able to do when you were in obscurity because you now afforded these luxuries and this financial incentives as well. It, It goes for me. I mean, little old, you know, Sam and Duncan on Breakfast Radio and Sydney on Hope is stuff had to shift in how I live my life publicly. Because you occupy a space where people's eyes are on you, and and I, I always felt like at some point, an organisation that's making billions of dollars globally, surely needs to start thinking socially.
1: Yeah, and you know there is something that can be done to help there, and um, people off obviously have um, a consumer movement campaigns on the internet, and these kinds of things can be effective in making companies uh, take responsibility and some of these large companies have um, social responsibility budgets where they Mm. set aside money and they try and uh, do things for society. Um, There is some disturbing um, um, studies which show that uh, often when companies have corporate social responsibility budgets what can happen is that um, people sort of uh, think oh i've ticked the box in this area and so now when i'm doing my core business i don't have to worry too much about being ethical Uh, but i hope (laughs) that's not widespread Uh, and there and there are such budgets and they do do
0: good things um i think about um the idea of you know and this came out i think in the election um this idea of carbon trading and taxes on carbon. Yeah. But there seems to be a lot of debate, a lot of argument about it. Are they good ideas?
1: Well, the first thing to say about those two policies, that's to say putting a tax which people have to pay if they um, put carbon in the atmosphere or having to buy for a permit or a right to pollute if they put carbon in the atmosphere. The main thing to to get clear, and I don't think... Many people have this clear at all, is that they are essentially the same idea. The idea works like this, Duncan. Mm. As long as everybody pays a financial penalty, the same financial penalty for pumping carbon into the atmosphere. Who would you say is going to decide to stop pumping carbon into the atmosphere, and and then um, not have to pay the penalty? Well, it's the people who find it easiest to mm. stop pumping carbon into the atmosphere. So if you have some kind of a financial penalty for pumping carbon into the atmosphere, you will get people stopping doing it who find it easiest to stop doing it. The ones who find it really hard to stop doing it for whatever reason will continue to do it and they'll just pay the penalty. Mm. Now, the point of all this is that it means that any reduction you get in the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere will come at the lowest cost because the people who find it easiest to stop doing it they'll be the ones who stop doing it and that's the advantage of having a price for carbon it actually doesn't matter whether that price is in the form of someone paying a tax or whether paying for a right to pollute from somebody in a market that's where they trade these rights to pollute it doesn't matter so the first thing I want to say is about those two policies they're about they're, they're very similar. They're, they okay. work on the same principle. And so a lot of the arguments about whether having a tax on carbon or whether having tradable rights to pollute is really a great big smokescreen of confusion. Um, the main thing is if there's a price on it and it's the same for everybody,
0: you'll get pollution reduction at the least cost. So you just set a global price for carbon and you yeah. say, that's it. All the nat- So what, you run this through the UN, and the UN or something says, okay, here it is. Here's the price for carbon. Everyone's agreed on it. That's what we're going to pay, and that's what we're going to trade off.
1: That would be a, a, a great ideal. Um, let's start a bit smaller and try and do it for individual countries um, in the first instance. There are actually uh, some significant problems with having global schemes like this. Um, whereas they can be organised more effectively at a national level, at least in the first instance. But what you're saying is is where we should head to, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay, brilliant. Well, Gordon. Yeah. This has been very informative. Thanks, man, for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, well, thanks. I'll take your advice
1: about uh, sitting under the stars and uh, when I go into Central Australia. Oh, mate, I think it would be extraordinary. <laughs> Good to talk.
0: Plenty to think about there, isn't there? And I've never really thought about, you know, sustainable economics and environmental economics and where that intersects with faith and there's a lot of conversations. But, you know, I mean, we're talking large scale, but really there are applications aren't there for home? Like, how do we look after our finances? What are we using them for? Are they being used in a way that can benefit others? Is there space for generosity, I mean, these are all good questions. What does our saving strategy look like? Is the way that we're investing in super, is it a way that can benefit the environment? Are those two mutually exclusive? Ah, so much to think about. Anyway, uh, I really enjoyed that. And it, it has kind of played out, you know, like if I if I do invest, what does that look like? Where is my super money? And is it being used in the best way possible to benefit not just me, but also the environment? Because... I mean, the reality is isn't we need to make some money to live. So lots of fun. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, another episode next week on Sustainable Dad. I hope you're enjoying it. Of course, follow me on Instagram, Ultra Robbo. Yep, that's not a great title. Look up Duncan, Ultra Robbo. Uh, or on Facebook, Duncan Robinson there is again. Check it out. Uh, feel free to drop me a line if you've got any questions or comments. See you next week.